Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, we told you we haven't seen the last of Stacey Abrams, and indeed, she has been tapped to give the response to President Trump's State of the Union next Tuesday night, February 5. Go, Stacey, go. What do you say, everybody? It's the Bill Press Show. It's Wednesday, January 30, and we are here with you coast to coast to bring you up to date on all the news of the day. Donald Trump has been tweeting starting um, about an hour ago, Uh, so he's up and at it. No reason why we should not be up and at it as well. Pardon me, taking a look at what's going on around the country, what's going on here in Washington, D.C., what's going on around the globe, and what it all means, what it means to you, to your family, uh, to your community, and what we can do about it as proud progressives here. Lots to talk about. Roger Stone, yes, appearing, pleading not guilty in the federal court yesterday. Even a group of fans out there, can you believe it? I wonder how much they paid those guys. Uh, The cold gripping the nation. Uh, It is so cold that what I saw this morning... 72% of Americans are facing below freezing temperatures today and uh, some 25% sub-zero temperatures. So, man, stay warm, uh, bundle up, and don't go out unless you have to. Uh, At any rate, we'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day from the White House to the Congress and beyond. You tell us what you think about it all by sending us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Love Love, love hearing from you on Twitter, at BP Show. So take advantage of that, whatever we're talking about, and we'll jump right in. But first. This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Around this time yesterday, I told you the story about uh, the student who called 911 who needed some help with their math homework. I have an update on that story. 
Oh. I have an update on that story. Because I said it happened in Lafayette, Louisiana. I misread yeah. the story. It happened in Laf Lafayette, Indiana. Oh. I know that because a fan of the show, Rob Blue, actually uh, tweeted at us. And he said that he actually works in the same building as the woman who uh, oh, no. who took the call. The same yeah. 911 dispatcher. And yesterday we got the 911 call name? released. Rob Blue, a fan of the show. Hey, Rob. Listen. Thank, Thank you, you, Rob. Thank I you. appreciate it. Keeping us honest. Uh, the child called 911 <laughs> said, I'm having a bad day. I need some help with my homework. Here's yeah. what it sounded like. 911. Hi, um, I had a really bad day, and, um, I just, I don't know. You had a bad day at school? Yeah. What happened at school that made you have a bad day? Um, I just have tons of homework. Oh, okay. What subject do you have homework in? <laughs> Math, and it's so hard. It's so hard. So mm. she helped him out and was doing his homework. Now, again, just want to point out, they did tell the child later, this is not what 911 is used yeah. for, but yeah. uh, the dispatcher did help him out. So just an update, just an update on well, that story. That gave me an idea. I was having a hard time with the New York Times crossword puzzle <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> you know what you got to do? I did. Yeah, yeah I just called 911. They helped me out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked earlier, we talked yesterday the about robot. Kamala Harris, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, who was running for president. She had a town hall on CNN on Monday night. Uh, turns out a lot of people watched it, Bill. Yeah. The town hall averaged 1.9 million viewers. Biggest ever. That is, yes, it is. Thank you. Yes, it is their biggest single candidate town hall that they have ever done. They have never done one that got more eyeballs on it than the one that Kamala Harris did on Monday night. Just saying. This, yeah. I'm telling you, her rollout in every every aspect of it has been phenomenal. Pretty great. Pretty great. One final story. Uh, you mentioned the weather. The weather is really bad. One thing that happens during the weather is people order delivery more often. Mm, people are ordering mm. pizza and stuff like that. So that's great. That's fine. That's one way to solve a problem. But... Make sure you tip your delivery drivers oh, extra yeah. nicely yeah. when they have to come out in this weather, please. Right. This is the Bill Press Show. On ISIS. On North Korea. On Iran. Our intelligence chiefs disagree with Donald Trump on every issue. In a big hearing in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday, which raises the question, who the hell is running this country? And does Donald Trump have a clue? <laughs> well, I think we know the answer to that one. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It's good to see you today. This is the Bill Press Show. Welcome. Welcome to the program, whether you're watching us, uh, joining us online, watching us on television or listening on the radio. We are joining you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., trying to bring you up to date on all the news of the day on every front, whether it's foreign policy or 2020 politics or the Robert Mueller investigation or Roger Stone or the latest at the White House. We'll uh, tell you the latest. You tell us what you think about it all by sending us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Again, welcome, 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 and thank you so much for joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television, on Free Speech TV, and on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, 
and of course Chicago, the epicenter, if you will, of the cold wave, the polar vortex coming across the country. The epicenter is right there in Chicago, coming off Lake Michigan, where they're expecting the lowest temperatures ever or already experiencing them. Um, but I, and I'm tempted to go out there just to see that uh, Chicago River right through the heart of downtown, frozen, uh, which it is, and those little tour boats frozen in place. All of our So hello to all of our good friends out there on WCPT, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, indeed. Just taking a look at that, uh, the the temperatures, Peter, you mentioned at the very top of the hour, too. Um, Chicago supposedly down to 15 below today, um, 27 below tomorrow. And with the wind chill factor, they're saying it could get as low as 50 below, which is actually colder than the North Pole. It, it's really amazing. You see some of these maps about you know the, the expected temperatures. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, this isn't just like a one-day thing. It's going to be... It's going to be a couple of days that it's going to be a deep freeze. But they don't even have, you know, normally it's like, you know, green is usually, like, yeah, the weather's great. You know, that the weather is great. When it gets to red, you know, it's really hot. When it gets to dark blue, yeah, you know, yeah. it's freezing cold. They don't have the shades of blue that they need to show how cold it's going to be. So they're now using purple. Uh, like it's light purple if you're like uh-huh. 10 degrees below yeah. zero. If you are, you know, more than that, it gets a little bit darker in Grand Forks, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, right. North Dakota, North Grand Dakota, Fork, yeah. Grand Forks, North Dakota. The temperature, yeah. Se- this is the real feel temperature, so that's wind chill and all that. Seventy-five degrees below, below zero. Grand I, Forks, North Dakota. I can't yeah. even imagine what that feels like. What do you do? I mean, God. you don't. You definitely don't go outside. No, no. <laughs> That's in, what you in, don't do. Uh, indeed, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, for those of you right at the very top of the hour, seventy-two um, percent of Americans today, seventy-two percent of the population have below freezing temperatures, uh, including here in Washington, of course. And although it's not as cold as we thought it was going to get, and twenty-five percent of the twenty-five percent of the population, not the landmass of the population, experiencing sub-zero temperatures today. It's the coldest it has ever been. And of course, um, some people are really hurting about this. Think about the mailmen. In fact, in some areas, in several states, they have just canceled uh, mail delivery. Here's uh, Tim Norman. He's a spokesperson for uh, the United States Postal Service who talks about what they've told those who are still delivering the mail. We've talked to them about frostbite, about uh, hyperthermia. We want them to get into a warm place if they feel any kind of symptoms like that. And also auto, I mean, um, airline workers at the airlines where they have to go out, greet the planes, service the planes, load the luggage on, refuel the planes, and whatever, check out... uh, Uh, the tires and all that stuff. Uh, Here, George Spence is a spokesperson for O'Hare International Airport, probably the one that's been hardest hit. Uh, Many, many thousands of flights canceled there. Make sure that you bring enough people and uh, enough resources to the to the job to get it done in the minimum amount of time, especially in the cold, because your survival time, if something were to happen out there, is down to minutes. Listen to that. The end of that clip. Your survival time is down Sur- to minutes. Survival time. Not frostbite. Yeah. Not right. hypothermia. You yeah. could die in a matter of minutes if you go out in this weather. Right. 
And so to the uh, mechanics, uh, to all the uh, baggage handlers and everything, that's uh, the instructions that uh, that uh, O'Hare ha- has given their workers. Uh, and, of course, in the middle of all of this, um, our clown in the White House tweeted out, Oh, gosh, oh, global warming, please come back. We need you, global warming. What happened to global warming? Please come back. Um, I just wish somebody would sit down to Donald with Donald Trump and say, okay, there are two things going on here. There is the weather and there is the climate. And they're not the same, Donnie. The weather is what happens today. The climate is what is happening all over on the long term, all over the globe. That's why they call it global warming, right? But, of course, Donald Trump, climate denier, he sees a cold day, then he says, ah, what global warming? It's just idiotic. There is no better example of how Donald <laughs> Trump is a Fox News grandpa <laughs> right? than making the same tired yeah. old joke. Oh, we could use some global warming mm-hmm. right about now, yeah, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, again. Like the drunken uncle that uh, you have to tolerate <laughs> on uh, on Thanksgiving. Exactly. Right? Man. <laughs> You know, um, bouncing around, I know, but um, some interesting 2020 news uh, today. Uh, one of the guys that I kept telling people, keep your eye on this guy because I think um, the person who may emerge in 2020 is a total outsider. Um, and uh, you ought to take a look at some governors like uh, John Hickenlooper from Colorado or a Jay Inslee from Washington State or maybe even a mayor like Mitch Landrew from North uh, New Orleans, or Eric Garcetti from L.A., a real up-and-coming, a very attractive, very articulate Democrat. But Eric Garcetti decided and announced yesterday, not his time. The two things I love the most, my family and my city, <laughs> are right here in L.A. So I have decided not to throw my hat into the ring to run for president in 2020. All right. So that's one out. By the way, you know, they're Richard Ojeda. <laughs> they're starting to drop out. Almost as many yeah. dropping out as dropping in, right. right? So the list is not going to be 32, but still going to be double digits for sure. It, certainly. It's already up to, I think, six or seven. Yeah. Uh, Garcetti's saying, however, in the future, I might still consider it. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Garcetti 2040, I'd like to say that right now. <laughs> in my deliberations, I realize that is the best time. Hey, he's a young guy. He'd probably be, he'll probably be younger than Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders in, in 20 years. So. But yeah, certainly he will. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, right. he, so. you're, like you said, he's a young guy. And look, there's something to be said about understanding and recognizing when it's your moment to take a yeah. shot. Right. And Absolutely. Look, he clearly thought about it. This is just not his moment. Right. But who get another moment? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we mentioned yesterday uh, one other person who is not going to run. Of course, we knew he wouldn't because he's such a flake. And, of course, we're talking about Jeff Flake, who announced yesterday that he is uh, um, not going to run. Instead, he's going to uh, take a job as a, a TV commentator for CBS, right? I mean, the whole – you've heard me whine, bitch about this. I didn't say – not whine. I don't whine, but bitch about this celebrity <laughs> – Celebrity journalism is just nuts. I mean, the the cable networks, and then in this case, the network, they just look for these failed politicians and then sign them up as celebrity journalists who have basically nothing to offer. I look at Rick Santorum on, on CNN, just a total waste of airtime. And CNN also has hired John Kasich and, as of yesterday, Andrew Gillum from Florida. You know, 
Andrew Gillum is a great guy, tremendous guy. I wish he were governor of Florida. I wish he was running for president. I wish, absolutely. But, you know, yeah, okay, they're going to pay him, so it's a paycheck. But I hate to see him go that route because I think that hurts his, I think that hurts his credibility. It does not, hurt his, does not help his political career uh, at all. And Claire McCaskill on uh, MSNBC as well. Um, so that's where the, uh, yeah, you can run and lose, and don't worry. You are guaranteed a job <laughs> on cable television. You know, we've gotten used to it. On... Well, Newt G- G- Gingrich on yeah. on Fox. I mean, it, all, all, I mean all of them th- do that's, it. That's, uh, all, that's where they all go. Yeah. You know, it's it, we've gotten used to it with cable <laughs> news for sure, but CBS? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and as we mentioned at the very top of the show as well, Kamala Harris uh, racking up another big win. Her rollout has been very, very impressive. For the, starting off on Good Morning America, Howard University, down to South Carolina, Oakland, California, a huge crowd on Sunday, her official uh, um, launch of her campaign. Uh, last night, a town hall with uh, Jake Tapper on CNN out in Iowa and got CNN's, CNN's record number of viewers ever for any town hall, 1.975 million. Interestingly enough, the biggest record for any town hall at all on any cable television was Donald Trump, who got like 2.1 million, very close to her, on Fox, of course, in the 2016 campaign. Um, so That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and also interesting that, so the Washington Post ABC poll is out, uh, a poll is out this morning. Just to, okay, here's, here's, what, here's the bottom line of this poll. We may be talking a lot about 2020. Most Americans are not. And we got a long way to go. So get this. They, they went to Democratic voters and said, okay, do you have a preference right now and could, for 2020? 56% of Democrats said, no. Still haven't thought about it or they're wide open. 44% said, yeah, yeah, uh, right now I, I I think I know who I'd like to see. Okay, now let's- How many? 44%. Right now? Now. Oh, wow. But, well, let me tell you, let's look at the 44%. Of all the Democrats that we've been talking about, not one of them gets 10%. <laughs> okay, all right. So the top is Joe Biden. Yeah. 9% say- you know what? This is basically name recognition, but it's very interesting. So Joe Biden, nine percent. Guess is number two. You would think Bernie. Bernie? Nope. Who? You would think maybe Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. No. Kamala Harris. Wow. Kamala Harris eight. Uh, see again, very successful rollout. Bernie Sanders third place with only four percent. Beto O'Rourke, three percent, and then Michelle Obama, two oh, percent. Michelle Obama's not going to run. And Elizabeth Warren, two percent. Wow. Whoa. Yikes. Whoa. Net. Yeah. Amazing. So again, it doesn't mean anything, but it just shows you that it's wide open, and there's a long way to go, and most people aren't, aren't even thinking about it yet, and. These people are out there announcing for president and running around the country and starting to, you know, they're not running ads yet. Haven't seen, but um, it, it certainly it certainly started, and uh, most most Democrats haven't even thought about it. You yet. know, it, it, it's so interesting. You and I 
have agreed for a long time that we just start these presidential races too damn early, mm, right? Mm. I mean, it, it just gets started too friggin' early. Absolutely. I keep pointing out, John F. Kennedy announced in January 1960. Yeah. He was elected in November 1960. I mean, that's plenty amazing. Plenty of time. He had to go through the primaries. Sure. And the general election. Plenty of time. However... I think that this time around, Democrats are so enthused and so excited to just get Trump out of the White House. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this time around, I'm okay with it. <laughs> can't do Only once. Can't do anything about it anyhow. Yeah, right. Exactly. So then, all right, just spend a couple minutes on this, okay, because, boy, I'm so pissed off about this. Then there's this other guy running, Howard Schultz. Get out of Dodge, Howard Schultz. Go away. Now, you've heard me say I love the fact that so many Democrats are thinking about running. And on on my list, he was always on my list because he's been a Democrat all his life. I don't agree with him on all the issues. He's too much of a centrist for me, too much to the right maybe for me. But he's been a good Democrat, given a lot of money to Democratic candidates, and he was talking about running for president as a businessman, you know, yeah, we've seen how well that works. Uh, but I'm a businessman. I'm a big CEO. I'm a successful CEO. If I can run Starbucks, I can run the country, right? Yeah, but here's the problem. That was before we really got to know Howard Schultz. Now, the more we get to know about Howard Schultz, the wackier I think he looks and the, and, and the wronger, if that's a word, that he looks. First of all, so he's not going to run as a Democrat. He's going to run as an independent. And as even Michael Bloomberg says, that's the first thing wrong. You cannot win as an independent. Cannot win as an independent. The system is rigged against you. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. Can't get on the ballot in all 50 states. You're not part of the debates. You're never going to win. All you can do as an independent is screw things up and take votes away from um, the front runner. In this case, take votes away from the Democrat because he is a Democrat and his, and his policies are certainly to the left of Donald Trump. So I would say if you want to elect, if you want to reelect Donald Trump, support Howard Schultz. He is God's gift to Donald Trump, Howard Schultz. The other thing he says, so then everybody says, well, why don't you, you're a Democrat, why don't you run as a Democrat? Well, he said, I can't do that because of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's actually said, because she says we should raise taxes on the wealthy, he cannot run as a Democrat because he would be forced to say something he doesn't believe, namely that he should pay more in taxes. That's, by the way, I think the whole raison d'etre of his race for president is so that his, he won't have to pay any more in taxes. But again, this idea that as a Democrat, he would be forced to agree with everything any other Democrat said, particularly forced to agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is nonsense. That's what debates are all about. That's what campaigns are all about. You provide, you put forth an alternative vision. No, Kamala Harris, I don't think that Medicare for all is going to work. I don't think we should get rid of all private insurance companies, which Kamala Harris has said, by the way, good for her. Okay. That's fine. You can disagree. Um, I don't think we should, I don't know, you name it, right? Send, bring the troops home from Syria or bring the troops out of Afghanistan or get out of the Iran nuclear deal. Well, these issues, you can disagree. He is not, as a Democrat, he would not be forced to say anything. That is just caca. And then he says, 
Well, what's the number one problem facing the country? He says the number one problem facing the country is our national debt. <laughs> well, you know, but I would say on my list of things that I'm really worried about, yeah, the national debt is on the list, but it's probably maybe 25. Sure. Sure. Yeah, right? Sure. I think climate change is a hell of a lot more important. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> I think getting down rid of Donald Trump is yeah. democracy is pretty high one. up there for me. Yeah. Like you preserving know, def- our democratic institutions. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty high yeah. up there for me. Yeah, <laughs> I think staying in NATO and keeping our uh, leadership around the world. I mean, you can go on and on about things that are the debt. Okay, so what's what's it? And what's he proposing? L- l- listen to what's going on. When you first of all. And I, I'm not totally convinced that this isn't a stunt to sell books on Howard Schultz's part. But if he is serious in, in, in what he says about yeah. seriously considering running for president, uh, think about what he's saying. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has put this idea out, uh, and, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth Warren has gotten on board with this, too, of if you make a billion dollars or you're worth right. billions of, do- of dollars, you're going to pay higher taxes than everybody else. On the money, let's say, above a certain amount. Above a certain amount. Not yeah. on every dollar you're, you raise. You're able you, to you, you make, right? make $10 million. Right. And, and the money that you make after $10 million, you pay 70% taxes on it. Okay. Well, Howard Schultz hates that idea so much that he's willing to give the country a second term of Donald Trump just so he won't have to pay higher taxes. That's really what this is all about. Totally. He, he wants to screw everybody else just to hang on to some of his money. Yeah. And, and, he, and he, did, he did say about Elizabeth Warren's idea of, um, by the way, tuition-free college, right? Says it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And Elizabeth Warren shot back and says, what's ridiculous is a billionaire thinking he can buy the presidency. Bravo. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, not to mention, right, the idea that a business person – man or woman, uh, would automatically be a good president. Haven't we already learned that that's not the case? <laughs> May I mention George W. Bush? May yeah. I mention Donald J. Trump? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do that again? This is the last two Republican presidents who were both businessmen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, I'm just really disappointed in Howard Schultz thing, and uh, I think it's good to see so many Democrats stand up and say, uh, no, in fact, Tom Perez, the chair of the Democratic Party, was asked about by uh, Brett Baer on Fox News last night uh, about this very question. And, you know, Tom Perez is saying, hey, we've got a, a wide open Democratic primary. You're a Democrat. Come on in here. Why are you scared of Howard Schultz? I, I welcome anyone who wants to get into the Democratic primary race for, gov- for president of the United States. That's why we have built a process that's fair and open and transparent. We're going to have double-digit uh, field of candidates in our first debate in all likelihood, and that's why we've set forth a, a very, very open process so that we'll, if we'll do it on two nights in a row if necessary. We'll draw lots so that it's totally fair. And if, if uh, Howard Schultz or Michael uh, Bloomberg or any other one of the potential candidates decides to run we're going to make sure they have a fair shake there you go so uh howard schultz get out of what get out of the way just go away um and uh, he did a good job at starbucks took it from like i think 11 stores to some thirty thousand stores fine that's your legacy go away uh other news happening just to touch on a couple of things it was an incredibly important and troubling experience yesterday in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee to watch our the leaders of the intelligence community, the director of the CIA, 
uh, the director of national intelligence, Gina Hospital, CIA, director of national intelligence, Dan Coates, the head of the Joint Chiefs, um, and, and a couple of others, all testifying in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And they went down issue by issue, sort of the hot spots, in, in no particular order. They ask, so we know, on ISIS. Donald Trump has said, just about a month ago, ISIS is done, they're over, we defeated them, that's why we're going to bring our troops home from Syria. Uh, the panel was asked yesterday about ISIS, and every one of them said, ISIS is still a serious threat, and we have to uh, continue to, to fight against them, uh, not just in Syria, but anywhere else they may pop up. On the Iran nuclear deal, uh, Donald Trump has said, it's a failure because Iran was cheating and we should pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. This panel of our intelligence experts, the leaders of our intelligence agencies said, there is no evidence at all that Iran was not complying with the deal. They all said Iran was in compliance with the deal and it was a good deal. On North Korea, Donald Trump has said, we made a deal, North Korea is no longer a threat. They're gonna get rid of their nuclear weapons uh, Dan Coates, the director of the National Intelligence, says uh, just the opposite. We currently assess that North Korea will seek to retain its WMD capabilities and is unlikely to completely give up its nuclear weapons and production capabilities because its leaders ultimately view nuclear weapons as critical to regime survival. So on every single national intelligence issue, our intelligence chiefs contradicted, repudiated, disagreed with the commander-in-chief, with the president of the United States. It does make you wonder what the hell is going on, who's running the country, and does Donald, raises the question, does Donald Trump even have a clue? Right? I mean, that's scary. And yeah, the I problem is... He is the commander-in-chief, yeah, and he's making these shoot-from-the-hip decisions down at the White House without consulting the leaders of our intelligence. Remember, he, oh, he likes true. to make decisions based on his gut. That but, you true. know, I mean, all this talk about fake news this and fake news that, right? It, he, he either does not understand what he's saying and he doesn't understand the issues, or he's just knowingly lying to us, the American people, uh, to to push forward or to make himself look better, or both, frankly. Uh, it could be both. Yeah. Which is terrifying. Absolutely. I mean, that's terrifying. Right. Uh, and, but it also shows that he, these, you know, these people, they know their stuff. This is their job. Um, and he's not paying any attention to them all. I don't know. Maybe he's getting his uh, direction on national policy from... Cliff Sims. Oh, that's right. Cliff Sims is no longer at the White House. Yeah, he's that out. gopher. Oh, yeah, the Cliff gopher. <laughs> the gopher. The gopher that's out with the book. Right, right. right. <laughs> uh, and one little bit of good news. I thought uh, the Democrats made a good choice yesterday. Uh, Senate leader Chuck Schumer announced that he has invited uh, former gubernatorial candidate from Georgia, Stacey Abrams, to give the response to the president's State of the Union address next Tuesday night. That's always a tough job because, you know, so many people, we remember them. Um, the governor of Louisiana, little boy, you know, pre, 
Bobby Jindal. Bobby Jindal. Bobby Jindal. Piyush. Oh, yeah. yeah. That ended his career. Marco Rubio just about ended his career when he grabbed the bottle of water right on there. Good uh, point. Yeah, yeah. Right? So this is a tough thing because you got to write your stuff before the speech, and you got to be ready to give it right after the speech. You don't have time really to do it. Anyhow. But she's great. She's I think great. It's great to keep her in the national spotlight, and uh, uh, good for good for Chuck Schumer. I'm sure she'll do uh, a great job. And politically, we haven't seen the end of Stacey Abrams yet. She may run for senator from Georgia uh, coming up next. So, great lineup of guests today. Alex Bolton from uh, the Hill will be joining us coming up next, and a little bit later, Aswin Subsang from the Daily Beast and Jen Bendery from HuffPost. Let's take a quick break and come back with uh, Alex Bolton from The Hill here on The Bill Press Show this Wednesday, January 30th. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, January 30, The Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Brought to you today by, by the American Federation of Teachers, great men and women of the AFT. Teachers of America, doing the Lord's work in our classrooms every day. Uh, and the teachers of Los Angeles leading the way with a very successful strike a couple of weeks ago, all under the leadership of uh, President Randy Weingarten. Check out their website at AFT.org. Uh, leading Democrats saying Hillary Clinton will not be the Democratic nominee in 2020. That story uh, up on the Hill, thehill.com today. Um, by a reporter, Alex Bolton, and look who joins us in studio. Hello, Alex. How are you? Great to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Shaking things up here. I want to hear more about that, uh, but we got to check in with Peter first uh, to bring us up to date on some comments over the last half hour. Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Want to check in <laughs> with our friends in Chicago? Oh yes, it's cold up there. Uh, Smith, you think it's cold here, Alex. <laughs> my my door was frozen when I came over here. I had trouble opening the door to my oh, car. It was geez. frozen. Really? Yeah, it's, well. It's pretty cold here. It's what, nothing compared to what's you're going not in Chicago. on in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, Smith <laughs> says, I'm trying to stay warm and listen to Bill Press on WCPT. All right. Make America warm again. Yes, I think that's uh, that's great. Someone also pointed out, uh, wanted us to tell everybody, if you are going out into the cold weather, whether it's here in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else around the country that has uh, freezing temperatures, make sure you take a fully charged cell phone with you when you leave the house just in case you never know mm -hmm. what can happen you could get stuck in a snow drift or if you're driving or something like that just make sure you have a very charged phone good advice with you on to some 2020 stuff kg says one thing about kamala harris is she has actual government experience and people are looking for that right now uh, we talked about the polls for 2020 one name that was not on that list at all was Kirsten Gillibrand, not on there at all. She's running for president. She's out there. She's saying that. Uh, Archangel says, yeah, no new, no good news for Kirsten Gillibrand yet. Uh, and Tom says, someone needs to ask Howard Schultz how he is going to lower the national debt. It's a very good question. One final uh, thing. We have our poll running uh, at BP Show. At BP Show. The mm -hmm. poll is almost over, so you can either go vote or see the results. We asked you of the 2020 Democratic hopefuls, who makes you the most hopeful? And we asked about the three frontrunners at this point. Alive. I think the three biggest frontrunners, Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, or other. You have the mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. option to vote for other. Right now, Kamala Harris, 53%. 
Other, 25%. Elizabeth Warren, 21%. Kirsten Gillibrand, 1%. Mm. Find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You know, I just wonder also those who come, who follow, uh, whether they're going to, whether Kamala Harris has sucked so much oxygen out of the air. It's going to be hard, harder at any rate for an Amy Klobuchar for sure. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, Bernie and Joe Biden already have their operations and their name ID. They'll be they'll be fine, but maybe uh, maybe hard for some of the others that we've talked about as possible also rands to find a lane or get any traction uh, at all. And earlier in the week, Alex, uh, it was reported that Hillary Clinton had told a couple of friends. I haven't totally closed the door or something mm-hmm. like right. that. Right. Uh, you picked up on that, and um, what kind of support did you see fine for a Hillary candidacy in the Congress? Well, you know, I mean, Peter, I, I noticed, did not have Hillary on his... <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> no, we, didn't, we didn't offer that up as Where well. was Hillary? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, it brought to my attention actually uh, uh, an op-ed by... Uh, Mark Penn, her former oh, pollster, right, right, from November, and uh, you know, former Clinton pollster, former Clinton pollster. I mean, he was the chief architect of her, you know, 2008 campaign. I mean, yes. it, it, yeah. it, she almost won. I mean, he could have been, you know, the next, you know, Democratic political genius. He missed by he missed by a hair in that primary to to, to Obama. But you know, he had a, he had an op-ed in shortly after the election. It got overshadowed by the results of the midterm. Mm-hmm. But he was very definitive in it. I mean, he doesn't have any inside knowledge, but knowing her, his former client, he said very definitively, Hillary will run again. And this is, the, I think, the graph uh, that I thought was the best uh, in the whole piece. It said, he wrote, the generation of Democrats who have been waiting to take over the party from the Clintons will be fuming that she is back and stealing their show. But they revealed, they revealed themselves to be bungling amateurs in the Brett Kavanaugh nomination fight with her laughable Spartacus moments, she will trounce them. Just as Trump cleared the field, Mrs. Clinton will take down rising Democratic stars like bowling pins. <laughs> in 2020. In 2020. Pretty right, definitive. Okay. Well, so? Um, so, so I, and so the, the story that got attention over the weekend was, you know, by Jeff Zeleny, who is, you know, a very well-respected reporter, formerly New York Times, ABC News, uh, CNN. I mean, he's covered Hillary before. He def- definitely has ins to her uh, inner circle, and and he wrote that she has told that he heard from multiple sources that she is telling friends that she's not closing the door to 2020. That's not to say that she's going to run, right? But if things don't work out for the party, or if there is what what Democrats I spoke to on Capitol Hill are growing concerned about a split convention where no one can win a majority, then maybe she can step in. And you know, when you have such a big field, and when you have Strong candidates from different regions: Kamala Harris in California, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand in uh, in New York, and you know uh, Beto O'Rourke in Texas. I mean, you have these kind of regional personalities. If you know, if no one can get more than let's say you know forty percent of the support, then maybe Hillary, who we know has a loyal base and a loyal following, you know, she could be right up there with them if no one consolidates support. So I t- talked to people on Capitol Hill. Well, what do they think about this? And um, I think the answer was, we hope not. And it's time, <laughs> it's time to turn the page. It was but not no way, no how. It was more polite than that. A little bit more polite than that. Yeah. Democrats are pretty polite people. I mean, <laughs> at least the ones in the Senate are. Well, good. Right. But did you find any enthusiasm there for were, another Clinton campaign? 
No, I can't say that I did. Yeah. In fact, the strongest quote I had in my piece was from uh, Dick Durbin, who said that, you know, her time has passed and it's time for new leaders to come. And, you know, people don't really know what to make of it because, you know, Hillary hasn't been as, let's say, you know, public as Joe Biden and weighing the possibility of running. But she also has she's also well far ahead of where Biden was. I mean, yeah. you know, she's run campaigns you know, right up to the finish line. You know, he's never gotten out of the first couple of weeks of the primary. So, right. so you know, she has. So she's way ahead of him. So I mean, she could she could wait until pretty late, you know, to run and and she you know she knows how to do it. I mean, but I think what I think what I heard most from you know Democratic senators I spoke to was that uh, she is um, you know it's just it's time for a new generation of leadership. The funny thing is then they throw Biden in that pile. So excuse me, like there's a disconnect here. No, there is indeed. <laughs> well, the disconnect also was was obvious and evident in 2016 where a lot of people said it's time for a new generation of leadership. We don't need yeah. a rerun of a Clinton campaign. Uh, and so let's go with this young, fresh, upstart named Bernie Sanders. Right? Well, and so it's interesting. So, so the age factor yeah. has almost disappeared. Well, that's true. And Bernie, there's another good example. I mean, here's a yeah. guy who's you know right at the top. Um, you know, interestingly though, people say kind of the same things about Bernie as they do about Hillary, which is, you know, don't expect the support you got last time. I mean, you know, all bets are off. The, the slate has been wiped clean, and you have to earn our support back. And I think there's mm-hmm. been some coverage how I think Bernie's having a little difficulty, you know, locking yeah. down some of the commitments that he had in the past, certainly with Hillary. And so that was, you know, I think that was the main message. <clears throat> Aside from skepticism, people saying, you know, oh, we're not sure she's going to run. We haven't heard anything from, you know, her husband or hers directly. And uh, one senator pointed out to me that, you know, Terry McAuliffe, who's very close to Clinton's, he's running. And that, you know, if he had any inside uh, or insight into, you know, the fact that she was w- w- wanting to run or weighing a run, you know, maybe he wouldn't. But um, and then the other thing that was pointed out to me is, you know, she, she gave some you know speeches, public speeches up in Canada. She had trouble you know, filling the venue. Yeah. And so just wondering whether anyone's interested in, in speaking to her. But on the uh, other hand, she, you know, she does have a pretty compelling case in so far as she won the popular vote. And it looks like, you know, there was interference in the election. So you could argue that she right. she is the winner. Please, Hillary, do not run. <laughs> uh, and I think you will find, uh, I believe you'll find that if she were to make some steps mm-hmm. toward it. Yeah. That some of these voices who were very polite mm-hmm. to you saying mm-hmm. her time has passed or whatever would be even stronger saying, no, 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 this is not a good idea. You know, I really think the de- Democrats that I've talked to just feel love the Clintons, love what they did, you know, for the party, for the country. But as Dick Durbin said, that was then, this is now. Um, Bob, I'll come to now in this Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple of things yesterday that Mitch McConnell said, which I thought mm-hmm. raised some eyebrows. Okay. One of them was um, when he talked about the possibility of another shutdown. Uh, here he is yesterday. I don't like shutdowns. I don't think they work for anybody. And I hope they'll be avoided. Now, that's uh, takes a little cheek, I think, maybe to say that after somebody who could have ended this mm-hmm. last shutdown mm-hmm. sooner than he did, but he wouldn't even call for a vote in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But does this mean that Senate Republicans are now willing to openly rupture from the president, who is still saying, if I don't get what I want by February 15, I'm going to shut down the government again? 
you know, um, I'm not sure the dynamic has changed all that much. I mean, I think there still are some, you know, vocal voices like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Corey Gardner, who are going to say, yeah. you know, this is a terrible but idea. Not, not and they're probably going to they're probably going to be, you know, bolder in, you know, their their pronouncements. I just think that, you know, things are more evolved now so that if there is a shutdown, you know, they're going to be complaining louder, you know, sooner than the last time. But, you know, if you look at Trump's you know, numbers with the base, I mean, they're, they're just very strong. And actually, if you looked at the polling, his numbers uh, with the Republican base actually got better during the shutdown, even though they got worse everywhere else. So, you know, you still have to be very careful about crossing Trump. And, you know, all these guys and gals are going to face, you know, primaries at some point. Uh, I mean, Lisa Murkowski won re-election, you know, in 2010 as an independent, but she's, you know, gone back to being a Republican. So everyone, you know, everyone has to worry about Trump. So I mean, if, you, if you, he shuts it down, you know, they're going to go along with him at least for a little bit. They'll walk off a cliff with him again. Hard to believe. Uh, because I don't think they gained anything or he gained anything from this, from this last uh, shutdown. Um, well, the... The, the the focus has shifted here. The burden of coming up with a solution has shifted. It's no longer, you know, Trump negotiating with Nancy and Chuck in the Oval Office. It's this new committee that's been formed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where, right. Where is, the, is that committee underway? And Their first meeting is this afternoon, early this afternoon. Okay. And the, and it's Pat Leahy and Richard Shelby? Pat who, Leahy, Richard who Shelby. Who are the leaders of it? Yeah. Uh, and then Roy Blunt, who's cl- pretty close to McConnell, uh, right. uh, John Hoven, former governor of uh, uh, North Dakota. He's a pretty pragmatic guy. Uh, Dick Durbin's on there. Um, uh, Shelley Moore Capito, she's the chairwoman of the uh, Homeland Security uh, Appropriations Subcommittee, right. which has jurisdiction over the wall. John right. Tester's on there. So, And then on the House side, it's uh, it's House Senate Committee, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nita, Lo- Nita Lowy and a- the ranking Republican. Appropriators, yeah. Right. So these are all appropriators. And I think from the stand... So what can we expect from that committee? Are they a, uh, let's build the wall? Give Donald Trump the money for the wall? Is- well, I think what we can expect from this committee, since it's, since it's made up of appropriators, it's going to be a spending-focused <clears throat> solution. It's not going to be an immigration reform focused solution. Mm-hmm. And so what the Democrats have said the the price tag for the wall would be and the, right now that they've ruled out the wall so I don't think there's I don't think any amount of concession could could win the wall just cuz they've, you know, dug in so deep on it. I mean, when you call something, you know, immoral, then you know, it's hard to see how you accept it. And that's uh, you know, that's kind of an interesting dynamic right there. Well, let's follow that out. So that yeah. means, let's say this com- this committee yeah. comes out with, here's our recommendation mm-hmm. for border security, yeah. the money we ought to spend for this purpose, yeah. and there's no money for the wall. Yeah. That proposal then goes before the Congress, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, con- the House and the Senate could vote, approve it. Yeah. Then it goes to the president yeah. again with no yeah. money for the wall. Right. Well, then I think what happens, the president says, well, I never said, you know, and this is what he said in his... <laughs> Rose Garden uh, press conference on Friday. He said, "I never said, a, you know, concrete wall from sea to sh- a shining sea. You know, he, you know, it doesn't need, need to be an actual wall of China. It can, you know, I think he's going to redefine success. Even though, you know, in the past he has, I think, very clearly talked about a, you know, a concrete barrier. Um, but I think he's going to say, look, you know, the, we just the important thing is we secure the border, and this secures the border. And you know, he keeps on, you know, redefining uh, oh, yeah, success. Yeah. I and mean, he said that, you know, I mean, his you know, Rose Garden comments on Friday, he said, look, we've already 
you know, we're building the wall. We're halfway there. I mean, this is just a this is right. just to put the lights on it. I mean, you know, he keeps he keeps on <laughs> ratcheting down what's needed from Congress. So I think he'll, I think you know it'll get it'll be, you know, my guess yep. is it's something like you know five. They'll give him his number, which is probably important, but it won't be. I think the well, compromise is they give him the number, but they don't give him the. <laughs> it can't be spent on the wall, but it can be spent on border fencing and barriers, something uh, right. you know, vague like that. Something like that. I just want to jump in really quickly because uh, earlier this morning uh, the president tweeted. He started tweeting before I left the house. He was up early this morning. Uh, But he tweeted about the wall, and he said, if the Committee of Republicans and Democrats now meeting on border security is not discussing or contemplating a wall or physical barrier, they are wasting their time. Wasting, weirdly capitalized in that sentence. But uh, he's... it's a physical barrier. It makes it very clear. That's what he wants. That's what he's. That's all he's going to accept. And that's what he said for thirty-five days. Yeah. And then accepted something that was totally different. So. Well, uh, you could. I mean, you could parse that and say, well, yeah. physical barrier. That's his out. I mean, what's physical barrier? That could be. Right. You, know, you can define that in a number of ways. So, I mean, that's the only. But you're. But you know, Peter raises a good point. Like you know, he he has you know fixated on this wall. But look. The Democrats aren't going to give him the wall. That's that's the bottom line, and I think that's why, you know, that's why this has become really a battle of semantics. It's all about you know Trump's future rallies. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is you know he's made build the wall the chant. He wants when he runs for re-election in 2020, he wants the chant to be I built the wall, and right. so that's yeah. what it's all about. He wants to be able to brag at the rallies that he actually delivered on that priority, and that's why the Democrats are like, hell no, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you say that. So right. we'll give you money for anything other than a wall. And so that's right. really what the fight's all about. And, you know, Trump could shut down the government again, but, you know, he'll get he'll get crushed. And as far as I can tell, I think the Democrats are happy to see the government shut down until November 2020. That's a pretty good <laughs> that's a pretty good re-election. That's a pretty good election uh, platform for them. Right. And one of the reasons and you've written about this, too, that yeah. the Democrats have been able to hold together is the leadership of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, they have. They've formed a formidable team, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know what's what's interesting. We haven't it, seen that before, at least. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't think so. And I think what's. Uh, I mean, at least we haven't in a while. Even when you know when the Democrats last had the House and the Senate, you know, Obama was the president, and uh, you know, so he was the leader of the party. So you yeah, didn't really right. have Good you know. Point. There wasn't as much um, I think focus on Pelosi, and then even you know in two thousand seven when they took control of the House and the Senate under Bush, Pelosi was, you know, newer to the game. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she didn't, I think, have the confidence. I I think after, you know, know, this, I mean, it's an amazing story, the fact that she came back to power. I really think that, you know, she's she's now, you know, feels very self-assured, you know, in what she can do and what, you know, what her story and what her accomplishments mean. And, And I think it's clear, and as I wrote in my piece, that, you know, she's the senior partner of the relationship with right. Schumer. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. And Schumer, I think, is, uh, you know, he's happy to let her uh, be the senior partner and take the lead. And so, you know, he's he's happy to be almost her consigliere in a way. And and, and that she is the enforcer. Uh, and, you know, it, it kind of helps keep his caucus in line, but it also keeps him a little bit out of the f- line of fire because she's, you know, taking all the fire. Right. And so, you know, and at the same time, you know, he's just... I think what he's interested in is taking back the you know democratic you know control of the Senate without becoming too much of a bogeyman himself, kind of a you know representative or you know symbol for Republican 
uh, you know, ha- you know, hatred and attacks. And for so long, you know, people, um, I've talked about it, admired the fact that, <coughs> pardon me, the Republicans, even though I thought they were wrong, you know, they hung together. You know, they were as a caucus, mm-hmm. right? You couldn't split them up. While the Democrats were sort of like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's the Democrats who really are mm-hmm. in line, mm-hmm. and they held they held tight. I mean, Joe Manchin voted for both bills, but that was the only partial defection, well, right? Again, I think this is a lesson from the Obama years. I mean, the the Democrats saw how unified the Republicans were. I mean, it's you know it's, yeah. it's kind of funny. We think this is the way it, it's always been, but you know, actually, not so long ago, there used to be some you know there used to be some more bipartisanship. There used to be more centrist Republicans. People you know sure. crossing oh, yeah. lines. You know, when Mitch McConnell, you know, became Senate Minority Leader and he he unified his caucus to oppose just about everything that, that Obama wanted that to do. Famously said that was his goal. It was very effective. And I think the Democrats saw it and said, you know what, we're going to do the exact same thing, uh, you know, if if when if and when we're in the minority. And, and they have. And, you know, that's kind of where we are. So but then the broader question comes, you know, what, you know, how do we, you know, what can be done to kind of break this partisan you know, logjam? Because... Right. Things have gotten. I mean, let's take the thirty thousand foot view of this. This is a you know this is we're talking about five point seven billion dollar appropriation has shut down the government for you know more than a month. I mean, this is. I mean, I think the dysfunction, inability to govern is just it's reached a new low, and I think you know people will tell you that on you know in both parties. Uh, I don't know whether you had a chance to sit in on the Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday or whatever, but I thought it was remarkable that on issue after issue, whether it was ISIS or North Korea or the Iran nuclear deal, or Syria, the intelligence agencies told an, the exact opposite story of what Donald Trump's been saying about each one of those issues. Yeah, well... What does that tell us? I mean, in terms of the influence of the intelligence agencies, whom one would think would know the facts, right, as opposed to decisions made in the White House. I mean, it tells you that Trump doesn't I mean we but I think we already know this that Trump doesn't really read briefing papers and he you know he doesn't really take advice he just he follows his gut and he watches Fox News and and he kind of you know he thinks yeah. what, what he's he he has a story to tell he's a salesman and you know he's going to he's going to give the sales pitch he wants to and uh, you know I think Trump Trump's like look I got I got elected you know on a platform I made promises and by golly, I'm going to stick to those promises. And, you know, these guys who are telling me that, uh, you know, who are telling me otherwise, well, they're part of, they're really part of the establishment. And, you know, if I listen to them, you know, things will be as they were under Obama, as they were under Bush, you know, we're going to have, we're going to be stuck in Afghanistan and in the Middle East for, you know, forever. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do what I have to, 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 to deliver what I said I would during the campaign. And, you know, of course, to do that, though, you can't really admit that there's, you know, you can't, that 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 strategy or that that path is incompatible with admitting. Well, this is a you know there are real national security threats. Like otherwise, if you admit that, once you admit that, then it becomes much tougher to to pull the troops out. So his he's putting the you know he's putting the political objective first. And you know I think at least to the credit of you know the nation's intelligence agencies, they're you know demonstrating some independence. Independence, but they don't have the but and ultimately the disconnect where I think it gets dangerous is. The president is the one with the power. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what makes America <laughs> unique. I mean, would we want but, the other way around? I don't think so. No. But, so, but what we would want, I think, yeah. is for the president to listen to the intelligence chiefs and, and weigh the facts before making a decision. Well, where clearly 
let's take the case of Syria, mm-hmm. the president did not. He said, well, ISIS is done. We defeated them, so we don't need the troops there any longer. Mm-hmm. Then you have the head of intelligence saying, oh, no, ISIS is pretty reduced territory, but still pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, on that point, we're going to have to wrap it up because mm-hmm. we uh, the clock just ran out of time here. Alex, thanks for your good work over there. Yeah, thank good you. Good to see you and uh, all of our good friends at the Hill. Say hello. Thank you. Uh, you can follow Alex and um, all of our other friends over at the Hill at thehill.com. Check out my column in the Hill um, yesterday on uh, the what Donald Trump accomplished in the shutdown. Like nothing. Good to see you, Alex. Great to see you. Uh, Aswan Subsang from the Daily Beast coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. So don't go away. Quick break, and we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, on ISIS, on Syria, and on North Korea, our intelligence chiefs yesterday said this is uh, what the story is. And on every point, they totally contradicted the president of the United States, which raises the question... Who's in charge? Who's running the country? Hello, everybody. What do you say? Wednesday, January 30. Good to see you today. Thanks so much for being part of the program. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Last time I checked uh, with all the news of the day, what's happening on Capitol Hill, what's happening down at the White House, what's happening at the federal courthouse where Roger Stone came up yesterday to plead uh, to enter a not guilty plea and around the rest of the country. Uh, cold, cold weather in most of the country. 72% of Americans experiencing sub sub I'm sorry, uh, below freezing temperatures today. 25% of Americans actually are braving sub-zero temperatures. So bundle up, stay warm, uh, and it takes a good friend to come out on a day like this, as cold as it is. And uh, here we go. Aswin Subsang from Daily Beast, a good friend indeed making the trek through the cold. Mm-hmm. Oh, Swins, good to see you. Always a pleasure. You're holding up. I mean, did you bundle up this morning? And Actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> completely, I, I completely you... failed to grab my coat. But uh, that's how much I love you. Oh, Here my you. God. Here we <laughs> go. Boy, the pressure is <laughs> on. I braved the tundra regardless. <laughs> well, if you oh, get man. frostbite, don't sue. That sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> Just Peter, not you. It's okay. Oh, okay. Fair. That's, that's fair. That's fair. All right. We got lots and lots to talk about. We want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day. You know how to do it. Send your comments on Twitter at BP Show and stay warm. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Uh, so yes. I wanted to just give an update on two of our favorite candidates. 
that ran in 2018. Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor of Georgia, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but Chuck Schumer has announced that Stacey Abrams will give the rebuttal to Donald Trump's State of the Union, which will be happening on Tuesday of next week. Not only that, Andrew Gillum, who ran for governor of Florida, and also came up short, unfortunately, uh, announced on Twitter yesterday that he would be joining CNN as a political commentator. Now, what happens to them after this? Who knows? I mean, look, for all of the talk about Beto O'Rourke running for president, I've been saying I would much rather see Andrew Gillum and or Stacey Abrams run for president. Uh, But I think that they both have a career in politics ahead of them after this. Well, Andrew Gillum signed a one-year deal, I'm yeah. sure, with CNN, so he's sort of on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, the big story- Put himself on the sidelines. Yeah, totally. A big story in the Washington Post yesterday, which has gotten some traction. Kids today mm-hmm. don't know how to spell. Huh. Starting President- with the kid in the White House. Presidents today also don't know how to spell. But why would that? Why do you think that might be the case, Bill? They're not teaching spelling in school. They are teaching spelling in school, but... Oh, I know, because you there have autocorrect. You, go. you got it. Bingo. Autocorrect is ruining our ability to spell as a society. And a lot of people are just kind of fine with it. Parents, that one of the pieces in the, uh, in the Washington Post, this piece of the Washington Post by the author Rebecca Dent, she talks about her son and how he is really not great at spelling, even though they worked very hard with him with flashcards and things like that to get him to be a better speller. Uh, but that's just sort of, they just accepted it. That's just the way of the world now. Uh, I don't like that. But I you know what's it. worse? I, I think this is probably the number one problem facing nation. Howard Schultz says <laughs> not, it's not the national, the national debt. debt. <laughs> no, it's not the national <laughs> yeah, debt. Right. They're not teaching cursive in schools. All right, I got a hot take. I don't mind the, them not teaching cursive. I do. I know you do. I don't want people to be, uh, just block printing. They only print it the way they know how to write their name. <laughs> when do you ever use cursive besides your signature? If I write a note to somebody, I really, use you still use cursive? Yeah, fancy. Yeah, of course. I learned it. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Stacey Abrams, we told you we haven't seen the last of her. And next week, we're going to see a lot of her as she gives the response to the president's State of the Union address. Tuesday, February 5. Hello, everybody. And welcome to the program, the Bill Press Show, on a Wednesday, January 30, hour number two here with all the news of the day, where it's happening in Washington, D.C., around the country, around the globe, we'll tell you what's going on, and you tell us what it means to you as you join us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, as you join us on television, Free Speech TV, and on the radio. Hello, Chicago. Stay warm out there. Uh, last time I saw it was going to be a minus 15 today in Chicago, and that doesn't count the... Um, wind chill factor coming in off the lake. So be careful out there and join me in saying hello to Aswin Subsang from the Daily Beast, a good friend in the studio with us for this next half hour. So, Swim, where do we start? I mean, there has been, there's so much going on, but today is the release date for a brand new book. 
by a former White House aide by the name of Cliff Sims that Donald Trump says was nothing but a gopher and doesn't Correct. know anything. Uh, also, incidentally, the same date that Chris Christie's book is hitting bookstore shelves, <laughs> uh, where he sort of spends time taking a blowtorch to <laughs> Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner. I but wonder why, right? Yeah. yeah. But okay. that is generating less anxiety in the White House in the Cliff book. Uh, and Sims' book is Nest of Vipers? Team of Vipers. Team of Vipers. Team of Vipers, right. Um, you've been writing about it. What What is his main, what do we learn from that book, or what does he want us to see? Well, the, the Cliff Sims' memoir uh, um, documents his time not just working in the Trump administration, but in Trump world in general. He's He was a campaign veteran who, starting during the 2016 campaign, um, developed a, a personal bond and an actual friendship with Donald Trump, uh, the president now, both in private conversation and and in public on Twitter, whatever, is claiming um, Cliff Sims is a guy I hardly I hardly knew. Who the yeah. hell is this? Making up all these stories and pretending he was an insider with a lot of access. Yada yada yada. The truth of the matter is, I'm going to shock your listeners here that Donald Trump might be lying about something. Oh no! Exactly. How can you say the president of the United I know. States would tell a lie? I know. I know. Um, Cliff Sims actually did have a good amount of access and was in a lot of rooms and meetings that he, quite frankly, should not have been, uh, given his rank in any nor normal or any other administration, because I've, of how much Trump liked him. So, I've seen pictures of, of Sims with Trump all over the place. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, including one-on-one uh, -on -one briefings. And um, so... <laughs> uh, President Trump is following a pretty standard model here. What when someone comes job? out... Um, he worked in the communications uh, department of the White House, uh, messaging strategy. Right. So my understanding is that like the president's weekly response or weekly message that he records or something that was going back to the campaign. Uh, Sims was involved in the um, uh, video uh, production aspect um, uh, of the uh -huh. Trump campaign and then the Trump uh, White House messaging apparatus. So uh, one of the things he did was yes, help out with uh, basically producing video segments and YouTube segments that would feature the president. Um, he also um, uh, lend a fairly big hand to the uh, tax reform and tax reform messaging push uh, that the White House went through. Again, yeah. And also the, um, uh, uh, the Pompeo confirmation uh, fight. So there was some, there was some so, so so it wasn't it wasn't nothing he he, no, was, those, he wasn't was like some... he wasn't Jared Kushner or Hope <laughs> Hicks or anything but he wasn't a gopher right as uh, the president would uh, want us to believe right is there any like big news in the book or just juicy tidbits about life uh, in the White House juicy tidbits about life in the White House I, I think the thing that got the most burn was an excerpt that appeared in Vanity Fair before the book came out where uh, Sims writes that he walked into Kellyanne Conway's office to help to craft a statement to push back on allegations. That she was... Uh, from, from Morning Joe hosts, uh, that she was saying mean things about the president or something like that. So he sits down at her laptop to help her write it, and her laptop, according to Sims's memoir, is synced with her iMessage on her personal phone. Which so he ends up seeing her uh, what 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 he documents as leaking to a bunch of different reporters at various outlets um, information or characterizations about other senior officials such as Steve Bannon, 
I also believe Jared Kushner, Reince Priebus, and also painting the president of the United States himself in sort of an unflattering light, sort of uh, portraying him as a child who needed to be mm. reined in. So um, uh, when he put his name she to that ex, She is doing that while he is writing a statement saying, I've never badmouthed the president. And yes, and I'm not a leaker or, yeah. or, or, or whatever. So it was a moment, uh, um, but Sim's account in that moment is a moment of um, um, juicy Trumpian gossip and also, of course, uh, deep irony. Um, and that made hi- him no more friends in the current Trump <laughs> senior staff. Not that they were buddy-buddy with him anyway. Right. Um, but the book kind of was um, acted as another grenade that was lobbed over the fence by a former Trump staffer or loyalist. And the president is following a very similar path he has with other people who he believes have turned on him or crossed him, who used to be very close to him, whether working in or out of the administration, including people like Omarosa Manigault Newman Mm -hmm. and Michael Cohen. Oh, it's just a pattern, right? Right. And even Paul Manafort, who the president has said some pretty sport things now, the position of him and his administration at the start uh, of the Trump era was, oh, Paul Manafort, we hardly knew him. Well, he was one of the three people who led your yeah. damn campaign, so what the hell are you talking about? Uh, so um, one interesting thing we reported about the president's personal reaction um, to this Cliff Sims book as excerpts start coming out. Uh, last week, when the president was otherwise supposed to be focused on uh, uh, the the border wall and shutdown fight, which obviously at the end of the week he ended up blinking and caving on. Um, he was getting furious with details that were starting to uh, trickle out from, uh, the from Cliff Sims' book yeah. to the point where he um, told several people around him, including White House aides, that he wanted to uh, publicly weigh in and rage tweet about Sims and the book, and he was starting soliciting... Uh, people's advice for specific put downs or language mm. that he should put in his public statement or tweet or whatever. And senior officials such as Jared Kushner and Kellyanne Conway ended up restraining him, essentially, talking mm. him down, saying it's not worth it. Don't give it more attention. And that lasted for a period of basically a few days. <laughs> then yeah. come, uh, what was it? Tuesday morning? Yeah, yesterday morning, I believe. Uh, President Trump couldn't take it anymore. And he finally tweeted. um, Yeah, because Sims was was (laughs) on Morning Joe and Mm -hmm. then on CNN yesterday morning. He's been making the media around. Right. And I think it was while Cliff Sims was actually on CNN that the tweet from the president came out calling him uh, nothing but a gopher. So um, you we've always been impressed um, with with the multiple sources that you have inside the White House mm-hmm. uh, in your reporting. Was uh, Cliff Sims one of them? Uh, I don't comment on sourcing. I don't believe in source elimination. And you being a journalist yourself knows that even if you were, I wouldn't be confirming or dying. And if he wasn't, and I've never spoken to him in my life, I wouldn't be telling you one way or the other. So there we go. Well, you can't blame me for trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just wondering. Okay. But uh, one other person has jumped in here, I believe, and that is George Conway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who basically, I, I mean, unless I've got it wrong, I read George Conway just just came out and disagreed with Donald Trump again over something, George Conway being Kelly and Conway's husband. Right, a noted D.C. conservative attorney, uh, right. George Conway, yeah. 
who uh, was sort of defending Sims, right? And that what, tweet? was he? I, I I haven't been following okay. George's yeah. Twitter feed lately. I mean, Donald Trump called him just a gopher, and I think Conway said, you know, you're wrong, right? Cliff Sims was something to that effect. I, I mean, George Conway tweets every day, multiple times, that Donald Trump is wrong about um, um, various elements of rhetoric and sometimes policy and uh, personal and professional conduct. So right. another day ending in Y, minute ending in the letter E. Uh, I, now, I don't know whether you've had a chance to take a look at or even read many of the excerpts from the Chris Christie book. What I find interesting about the Christie book is it's just it's just coming out today, right? But it was only two weeks ago that Chris Christie was in the White House or maybe even a month ago. When the book was auditioning sure, for a plum auditioning gig in the for chief of staff, right? And mm-hmm. his book must have already been. I know from the publishing world, his book was definitely finished by that time. He knew it was coming out. He knew what he was saying about the Trump White House, and he's down there auditioning for chief of staff. Were both of them Christie and Trump just going through the motions here, or has he? I mean, ruptured ties with Trump in this book. Not that I can tell. It's not something I've looked into for the past few days at least. But as far as I can tell, look, like the reason this has not um, exploded in a similar way in Trump world, especially in the White House and with the president himself uh, in a similar way to the Sims affair, um, is because the Christie book is basically Chris Christie going into, you know, richer, more vivid detail about stuff that he has been saying publicly on the record and on like ABC This Week where he is a contributor to the network uh, for a year or a year and a half. Um, A lot of his his time as governor as well, right? Right. and also relate to the Trump White House. Sure. And Chris Christie coming out and just completely slamming and trying to tear apart Jared Kushner, even though he is the president's son-in-law, would shock no one. He's been doing it for a while now. Everybody know Jared Kushner and he basically loathe each other. So um, there's it, – it's almost like old news, the Chris Christie book. Having said that, there is a new level of detail mm-hmm. to it and documenting private conversations that he's had with people like Jared Kushner and then future President Donald Trump. Um, but I don't think it's anything anybody did not expect, whereas uh, certain um, um, uh, discharges and salvos in, in the Sims book – um, caught people off guard, including the president of the United States. Uh, I haven't read either one. I'm looking forward to reading both. Um, I love the fact I'm going to see Chris Christie at a book deal this Thursday evening here in Washington at the Washington Post. I love the title of Chris Christie's book. Let me finish. It's, it's very Chris Christie. It's so Chris I, Christie. I'm not sure yeah. I would uh, <laughs> um, imagine Chris Christie naming a memoir of his anything else. Yeah, it sounds like him. Uh, let me finish. And whatever it's all, blah, 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 it's about Donald Trump. And the, the, the whole. I think Bannon and Kushner are both uh, yeah. in, in, the, in the subtitle. Uh, I think so, right. In the sub- and so is Donald Trump. And then it ends up about an in your face politics, right? The success, which is, of course, Chris Christie writ large. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting attorney general said, we've talked several times about your insights into the uh, Mueller investigation as well. The acting attorney general a couple of days ago said, um, it looks like the Robert Mueller is about to finish his work and his report will be out soon. Um, but you're reporting that they're still looking into some meeting that took place at the Trump Hotel, which indicates 
that they're not about to finish soon. What's going well, on? Well, it's uh, soon is a relative term. Uh, theoretically, if they wrap up in a year or two, that that that's soon in the grand <laughs> for, scheme of things. For thing. government work. <laughs> um, and they're looking into a whole host of things, including stuff that has to do with foreign influence that may or may not have anything to do with Russia. Um, and obviously, it's still unclear when they're going to wrap up. I'm not claiming to uh, have any knowledge um, into that, as basically no reporter who's covering Trump world or the Mueller investigation claims to, at least, you know, anybody who's worth much of anything. Well, they have uh, expanded but, the grand jury, continued the grand jury for six months, mm -hmm. which would, would be one indication that they're not about to wrap up. Yeah, well, again, we'll, we'll see. But back to the uh, point yeah. you raised earlier about uh, the stuff I reported uh, with several of my colleagues, I think a couple of weeks ago, forget exactly when that story came out. Um, but one of the things we reported on that uh, Team Mueller has been looking into uh, that hadn't been reported before um, in terms of being unaspect of their investigation uh, includes this meeting that uh, th this breakfast event for VIPs that occurred at Trump International Hotel just um, on the eve of Trump's 2017 inauguration. And uh, this breakfast included um, uh, uh, Trump world heavy hitters and big names like Representative Devin Nunes and uh, um, then incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and also a whole host of foreign dignitaries and ambassadors. So this in the foreign influence aspect of uh, the Mueller probe that also involves um, them trying to directly influence uh, top Trump world people right. is something that um, Mueller and his team have asked questions about and have looked into. Right. Uh, this is, again, at the Trump Hotel, significant, right, in terms of we've talked before about foreign money going into the Trump Hotel and eventually some of it into yeah. Donald Trump's pockets, right? Well, uh, yeah. He, Definitely. It's the owner of the it's hotel. It's his business. It's his business. No, exactly. Every time you buy a martini at the uh, lobby of Trump Hotel, uh, penny in the president's pocket. And Devin Nunes, uh, who, who who has figured prominently in the first two years, anyhow, of the, of the mm -hmm. Trump administration. As a top blocker and tackler uh, on the Capitol Hill for the president, yeah. Right. But does that – so does that make him a – Target of Robert Mueller? We're not sure yet. I no, so. no. Well, we made clear in our report, and there was nothing yet on our end to indicate that he is in any legal jeopardy. No. Yeah. Uh, I want to come back to some of the people you mentioned uh, that were close to Donald Trump and have parted ways, and he has dumped on them. Omarosa, for sure. Um, Michael Cohen, Cliff Sims, the latest. On that list, does not include that list does not include Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Stone has said, pleading not guilty yesterday, that he'll never testify against this president, that they're still buds. And uh, what's that relationship? And how do, how do you see, you know, the Trump-Roger Stone, even though he's no longer maybe on the payroll, they're still pretty close, aren't they? Well, it's, it's unclear because Roger Stone, notorious liar in, uh, um, in Republican political circles for years, if not decades, likes to inflate um, oh, his totally. level of access and his proximity to power, particularly oh, yeah. when um, uh, talking off the record or anonymously to reporters. He loves do doing that. So over the past two years, his level of contact with Trump and people um, actually affecting policy and politics in the Trump administration and particularly Trump White House 
is, would be, I think, has been vastly overstated by some, not everybody, but but by some. Um, but the connection uh, to Donald Trump himself goes back many years, and uh, they used to, of course, work very closely uh, with each other. And he used to be a close confidant and advisor. And I I don't know the la what the last time was that they spoke to each other after. Um, after the Trump era started in 2017. So he says that they, he, right, again, I, I hear, heard what you said and I totally concur. Mm -hmm. If you can't believe anything Donald Trump says, you certainly can't believe anything Roger Stone says. But Roger Stone has said that they speak, they, they spoke often, at least until recently, whether they've spoken in the last week or so, we don't know. But that they continue it, to it, speak it, on the phone. You know, he talked about calls that he got from Donald Trump. It wouldn't surprise me if over the past couple of years there's been a handful of phone calls. Yeah, because Donald Trump calls a lot of people. But I, I um, would be surprised if his phone, um, um, his pen pal relationship with the president is right. nearly as close or in the same stratosphere as someone like Lou Dobbs or uh, uh, Sean people, Hannity. Huh? Yeah, or yeah. Sean Hannity or people like that who actually do serve as very regular presidential advisors who just happen to be not on the government payroll. Right. Um, but funny thing about uh, Roger Stone, and I've been, and I, I've said this before, um, that because at the clip at which Roger Stone obfuscates and lies and his extreme unreliability, look, you can make the argument that basically everybody you deal with in Trump world as a political reporter, you have to take with a gigantic grain of salt and, or whatever, anything they say and run with it only when you've double verified it, triple, quadruple verified it, <laughs> whatever. Um, but even if you were to take that tack, Roger is an extreme example of someone who's just such a flagrant pro prolific liar that um, I have a personal policy as a reporter. I know a lot of reporters have used him as an anonymous source. S some maybe st still do. And fine, you know what? Do your job however you want to. But me personally, I cannot bring myself to quote him or use information or hmm. alleged information he says <laughs> anonymously or whatever. Like my strict policy with Roger Stone is that if I'm if my name is on a byline of a story, if he has anything to say to me or for this story, he must say it on the record. I am not going to quote you or talk to you for this story unless I have your name attached to it. Right. Um, I find, I know most people will not bring this up, but I will. Um, that, that, that's a strange partnership between Donald Trump and Roger Stone. Um, and, and given given their personal, I guess, proclivities or behavior, mm -hmm. I mean, we know the Access Hollywood tape, which exists and we've seen it. And we've seen somebody picked up their phone the other yesterday, just yesterday at lunch and showed me again the ads that Roger Stone was running in certain magazines in Florida uh, looking for sex partners for himself and his wife. Doesn't that make Donald Trump and Roger Stone like almost the perfect pair? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why um, long before the rise of Trumpism in 2016, 2015, that uh, Roger Stone and Donald Trump w were very close in terms of a personal and professional bond. Um, they do have not only similar political instincts, but very similar visceral rhetorical instincts and impulses in terms of like, um, um, especially in tr terms of flame throwing, just 
hurling anything at the wall to see what sticks, no matter right. how vile or racist or or mean spirited or cons insane and conspiracy theory mongering it sounds. Uh, so uh, is Stone likely to get a? Uh, is is part of the reason he's so cocky? Saying you know they're not going to get me. I'm not going to testify. Uh, 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 I'm not uh, not guilty, and I'm not going to testify against this president. Is he counting on a? And should he count on a presidential pardon? I would say too early to tell. And also, the president of the United States, when asked about it, said on the record, I, I forget to which reporter, which publication in recent days. When asked if he's weighing a pardon for mm -hmm. Roger Stone, he simply said, yeah, like it hasn't crossed his his mind. Huh. And Stone, I think, is so cocky about everything right now is because, A, it's his brand, and B, yeah. he loves the attention. He is soaking this all up with all the attention he's getting on TV and all the headlines. And, I mean, he may live to regret enjoying it so much. I don't know. I, I can't see into the future. But for the time being, it would shock me if he weren't having a ball right now. Uh, another piece of yours in the Daily Beast just, uh, I think, a couple of days ago. This is January 25. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Trump and Congress work furiously to accomplish what? Absolutely nothing, your headline says. Right. Is this about and, the shutdown? You're uh, yeah, and, and that still stands true now, even though the government shutdown's over, because the big deal that they struck last Friday basically just gives a three-week or so armistice. And then, as the president tweeted, they could be back to the races any time around yeah. the end of it. Yeah. A, a shutdown could come back, although I think that's pretty likely. The president could do a national emergency declaration that will probably immediately get tied up in the courts and be considered or deemed unconstitutional or unworkable. And we just get back exactly to square one or square zero, and we were on this fight with regards to Trump pleading and demanding um, uh, uh, billions of dollars for this um, um, uh, wall on the southern border, while Democrats and people like Nancy Pelosi continue to say, we will give you zero to one dollars for it. And um, s something that we reported in the piece you were just talking about is that on Wednesday of last week, um, President Trump convened. This is two days before he announced that. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the sh shutdown, shutdown over, over at least right for now. Um, he convened a meeting of conservative allies and conservative activists mm -hmm. at the White House, mm -hmm. um, uh, with the purpose of assuring them that he would not cave. In, mm -hmm. in according mm -hmm. to uh, people I spoke to who were in the room uh, for that meeting. Um, on that Wednesday, the president specifically used the word cave several times to say that that is something he would not do. And right. why uh, and that people like uh, Rush Limbaugh and other and Coulter or others. Yeah. Right. And the people like, like Rush Limbaugh were personally pleading with him and imploring him not to cave to Democratic and outside pressure and um, quote another day in paradise and quote uh, President Trump joked during the meeting, I, mm. uh, I was uh -huh. told. So not 48 hours later, um, after repeatedly telling these people, I will not cave, I will not cave, he goes ahead and caves. So um, for all the Trump world and presidential bluster of like, I love a good fight, I don't back down, I'm the big bad Donald Trump, this was one that he couldn't help but 
um, allow himself to lose. Right, right. And he emerged from it, at least in the short term, having aggravated a key part of his activist and hard right base that has been um, 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 pleading for this wall and other draconian immigration measures uh, since before he became president. Right. He didn't win over moderate moderates or any moderate Democrats. And the Democrats, uh, Democratic Party, including especially lawmakers on Capitol Hill, ended up emerging uh, with at least a short term victory and basically completely unified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, 35 days, a lot of bluster, accomplished nothing. Swint, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. We'll find more, to uh, talk too. more about what's going on in Congress now that we're in this uh, armist temper, armistice, as, as Swint told us, uh, from Jen Bendery HuffPost coming up next year. Uh, you can follow Swin at the, the Daily Beast, thedailybeast.com. Great to see you. Have a good one. We'll see you again soon. Take a quick break. We'll be right back with Jen Bendry. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we are this Wednesday, January 30. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. And thanks so much for climbing on board here at the Bill Press Show as we reach out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers Union. Put them all together and you get this smart union under a leadership of President Joseph Sellers, giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay every day, you bet. Uh, check out their website at smart-union.org. And here we go, uh, wrapping up the day and exec taking a particular look at what's going on just down the street here at the United States Congress with uh, Jen Bendry from HuffPost. Hello, Jen. Good to see you. Hello. Have you been in yet this year? No, I couldn't think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I either was in the very the beginning answer, of the year or the answer, very end of last year. The answer is no. Oh, you happy New Year! In, happy you New Year! I think until the end of January, if we haven't seen somebody, we can say Happy That's New right, Year. That's right, Happy New Year. This is for you a different New Year, right? When you go around the halls of the Congress, uh, it, it looks different, sounds different, must feel different, right? Yeah, there's an excitement in there that hasn't been there in a while. I mean, for a change, there's young women of color who are actually in the hallways who are members, and Democrats just took back the House, so that's shifted the the mood in there and. Certainly, there's there's this feeling of hope again for at least for yeah. Democrats that finally, like, there's not just diversity being reflected in there, but there's a, a real chance for people to push back on what Trump is doing. Mm -hmm. And Nancy Pelosi has emerged really as the queen of the hill, isn't she? <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody. It just seems to me that she's the number one most powerful member of Congress. I, I read that wrong, or no? I think that she is on her A-game. She's been bringing it ever since the yeah. November election. I mean, right. she had members of her caucus, um, not too many of them, but a loud group of them saying that it was, you know, not her time to be speaker again. And, you know, she's too old. I mean, they wouldn't say it like that, but basically, right. like, she's too old and she's too toxic. You know, she's too polarizing because Republicans and independents are so mad about her and blah, blah, blah. But if you've ever ever followed Nancy Pelosi and her leadership style, you know, A, that she's going to win mm -hmm. if she wants to be speaker, and B, she's probably the most savvy, strategic, um, experienced person in the building when it comes to navigating legislation and navigating, um, working with a, a, you know, a Republican Senate and navigating how it is to work with a Republican president. I mean, she's been there, yes, for a long time, but girlfriend knows what's up. 
Yeah. And she's showing yeah. it. And I, I was one of the people since November. I've been like, oh, my God, all these people who are saying, like, it's time for her to go. You know, we're going to write a letter saying that we're all going to vote against her. There's like 16 Democrats that said this. The whole time I, I was watching this, I'm thinking, okay, like whoever's on that letter is going to get really crappy committee assignments in January <laughs> when Pelosi becomes speaker. <laughs> and that happened. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, and she won. Obviously, she won that um, easily by getting reelected uh, as a speaker. She backed down the president on the State of the Union, which will be next Tuesday, not last night, uh, because the shutdown was still underway. She, he, again... He said, I'm coming anyway. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. Guess what? Right. And she won on the shutdown. Right. Yes. So, and it's because she plays the long game. She knows how Congress works. She knows the rules with things like, for example, the State of the Union. She knows yeah. that she has to get the House to pass a resolution in order for him to be able to get there, which I'm not sure the president knew that. I, th- I think he maybe it's certainly possible that he believed he could just show up. And that's mm-hmm. how the State of the Union works. But you have to pass a resolution in the House and Senate voted on by everyone saying that the president can come. And Pelosi had that in her back pocket. And I don't I'm willing to bet that they didn't know that at the White House. I mean, that's a pretty basic piece of uh, the State of the Union process. Uh, look, I'm totally willing to believe that. We saw from the Senate and Intelligence Committee yesterday that the White House doesn't seem to know what's happening on the ground, that the CIA and the Director of National Intelligence and all the other intelligence agencies know, whether it's North Korea or Syria or Iran, you know, they're telling a totally different story of what the Trump White House is telling. So, well, And that's consistent with this White House. Yeah. Everybody's on different pages. So um, I saw a story recently about in terms of people were asked, basically, <laughs> who's the power in the Congress? And Nancy Pelosi, of course, came out as number one. And number two, well, it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> Nancy has all the power. AOC has no power. I mean, she's a member of Congress. She's got a vote. She's a freshman member of Congress. She's a freshman member of Congress. Yeah. With one vote. And and she's got her ideas about some things she wants to accomplish, which I would hope that everybody who comes to Congress does have a little agenda of things they'd like to get done. But her ideas have scared people so much that Democrats in New York are talking about running a primary challenger to her. I mean, what's going on? It's incredible to watch the reactions to AOC in both parties at this point. But originally it was Republicans. I mean, you had like a a Republican candidate for governor in Florida who made it a huge piece of his campaign just to to criticize AOC, which who has nothing to do with a, a run for governor in Florida. I mean, Right. Republicans, for one thing, cannot stop attacking her. And it's it's bizarre and there's it's rich with problems on why they're focusing on her. But with Democrats now saying that, you know, they yeah. want to run a primary candidate against her, it's it's pretty incredible because here we are in January of 2019. The, the new Congress just started. Right. They haven't even really voted on anything. I mean, they've been fighting to open up the government. They haven't had any real policy fights. Right. They haven't had any real like major bills that they voted on. And AOC, just like 434 other people, is a, a member of the House yeah. who represents her district. And and I should say, like her district, I my understanding is they're extremely happy with her, so she's doing something right. So it, it's so early to even talk about primarying someone who hasn't even established a record. I mean, is this? Uh, it's purely based on personality at this point. That there's no record. She has no legislative record. So why on earth would you be trying to no, primary someone just, before you see what they actually do? Insane. So she's she's 
you know, she's working on this, I talked to her the other night, this Green New Deal. Um, we haven't seen the details of it yet. The one of her ideas that I think has come out that she'd like to um, put a 70% top income tax rate on billionaires, right? After, uh, uh, I don't even know what the level is, but above maybe a billion, to a billion dollars, you have to pay 70% like the rest, something like that. Okay, you can support that or not. I kind of think it's a good idea. Um, but you don't have to, just because she says it doesn't mean that's Nancy Pelosi's position, doesn't mean the House would ever do it, doesn't mean it's a Democratic Party's position. It's just her idea, right? And yes, what are people I, afraid of? People are just, really afraid of her. It's and crazy. It's, it's, it is crazy on the one hand. Again, she's a freshman. On the other hand, I say, go, girl. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> on the one hand, she's a freshman. Again, yes. we can't say yeah. enough. She's a freshman. When you're a freshman, you really don't have much power in Congress. So she's a freshman member with who's young and a woman of color and, and a with, with a lot of ideas lot and energy ideas. and enthusiasm. Yeah. And that is extremely unsettling to people in there. But, you know, I think that I, I think that the whole thing about her being a freshman is is valid, but it also shows how much things have changed. You know, I oh. mean, these people that are so scared of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being in Congress, I'm sure they've been there for life. You know what I mean? Like they've been there for a long time. Some of them longer then she's been on the yeah, planet. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Literally. Yes, yes. <laughs> in Congress, Congress, longer than, than she's, she's been, been alive. alive. Yeah, absolutely. That is stunning, really. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure no. that, look, they've gotten used to and they've gotten comfortable with uh, a certain okay. way of life and a certain way of doing things that they do it in the Congress. Let me tell you something else she is really good at, social media. Yeah, she's great. She, she's the most brilliant, I think. Well, they, they actually Period. brought AOC into like the Democratic <laughs> caucus meeting to to essentially train yes. other Democrats yes. in Congress on how to do Twitter and how to be sharp and how to get people's attention on Twitter. I mean, this is the, probably her first contribution as a member of Congress was helping her older School colleagues on how to colleagues. use the Twitters. <laughs> I mean, she's a millennial. She grew up with social media. Yeah. Like, I mean, she she's knows. very, very good at she's it. Really I mean, it's, it. it's hard not to, to read some of her tweets and just feel like, wow, you just owned that. I want to like this. I want to retweet it. You're just good at this. And you, and you're not just, it's not just like sass. She's actually talking about policy issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She can talk about the issues. It's just that people don't are, are freaked out by her ideas and I think they're freaked out that she's a young woman of color with, with a little bit of power now in there. I, I think that's just unbelievably scary to people in both parties at some level because they just don't know yeah. how to handle that in, a, in an otherwise rigid, white, older male institution that doesn't have flair. It doesn't have fire like that very often. Right. Um, and, and she's only one of several rock stars in the, uh, in, uh, from my point of view, in the, in the freshman class, right? I, I remember, forget all their names, but the two Latinas from Texas, the two Muslim American women, uh, the new members from um, from Northern Virginia. There's two Native right? American women two in there. Native now. American First women, ever too. Native American right, women right. ever in Congress. Yeah. yeah, and when you so when you look at it, I mean, so Nancy Pelosi is the speaker. The first four among the people who've announced for president in 2020: Kirsten Gillibrand and Elizabeth Warren and uh, Kamala Harris, with probably Amy Klobuchar following up soon, and Tulsi Gabbard, right? Um, Stacey Abrams, all these re women making up for the most part the freshman class in the Congress, and Stacey Abrams giving the response to the State of the Union. I mean, 
the year of the woman continues right into this. And it's not just the year of the woman. It's the year of women of color, which is also really important to know because that is there's so many firsts in this Congress. And it's so important to have these different voices in there. It's just been so white and male for so long. And as some I mean, I've been covering Congress for like 12 or 13 years and just visually seeing the changes in there. It's, you know, slowly changing, but it's it's so refreshing to just see different looking people and different perspectives in there mm-hmm. after it's been it just looked the same for so long. So um, on the on the shutdown, when we're now in this interim period, right, where uh, government employees are back to work, but who knows for how long. Um, I thought Mitch McConnell said something very interesting yesterday. This was a position that he often articulated before the shutdown started. And then he picked up again yesterday, the first day the government was back. I don't like shutdowns. I don't think they work for anybody. And I hope they'll be avoided. Cocaine Mitch. (laughs) There he is, Cocaine Mitch. So I guess you could ask the question, if you don't like shutdowns, why did you go along with this one for 35 days? But also ask the question, does this mean that Mitch is kind of sending a signal to Trump, don't try to do it again, or we won't stick with you this time? I think Mitch McConnell is thinking mostly about his reelection in 2020. And I think it sounds good to go on TV and say shutdowns are bad. I mean, I, I in his case, I think just about everything he's going to be doing now, even though it sounds far away, November 2020 for him, that's everything he does now, in my opinion, is going to be about that. And that's why I, he was he seemed to be mostly missing during the shutdown yeah, yeah, mess he, because it should have been him and Pelosi and Trump sitting down and figuring this out. But he was nowhere to be seen. Right. And it was, you know, there was Pelosi, there was Trump. You could say that, you know, there's John Thune or there's, you know, other various leaders involved in this. But he didn't come out and say much. He, he just sort of wanted it to go away. And I think that's he because he was frozen. He his power. Yes, and to... I think that's because he is up for re-election in 2020. He doesn't want to look like he's going up against Trump at this point by saying that it, Trump made a mistake. But he doesn't want to look like he supports the shutdown so he just sort of went away, <laughs> and that's not really the role of the Senate majority or Senate majority right. leader during a government shutdown. So that clip you just played, where he said shutdowns are bad, that's stating the obvious. Nobody thinks a shutdown is a great idea. Mm-hmm. So that's not particularly bold leadership to say that. What it is is him saying, "Okay, now that that's all over, I'm just going to go ahead and put on the record that I too yeah. think government shutdowns are a bad idea. That's not a signal to Trump in any way because he'll just do whatever Trump wants. He also indicated that um, he might be willing to consider, if not support, something that's being talked about by, I think, Ron Wyden and Lamar Alexander and some others to, to, to ban shutdowns, basically, to pass legislation that said whatever, if you don't get what you want, you can't shut down the government. Um does that have a prayer, that legislation? I don't know if it has a prayer. I haven't seen um, Mitch McConnell out there, you know, giving floor speeches, saying how wonderful that would be and throwing his full support behind it. I think it was a reporter it. yesterday. He didn't just say, no, no, we'll never do that. Well, why, and think about it. Why would he say, no, we'll never do that? Because, again, if he's thinking about yeah, his reelection right. in 2020, yeah, does he really yeah. want to be saying, mm-hmm. we will never rule out another shutdown? I mean, he, he's going to say, we'll right. see, keep it nice and vague and... And and the the question is whether support actually builds on that bill. If there's bipartisan support for it, I think you might see McConnell suddenly 
just like he did with the shutdown, come out and say, I think it might be a good idea to never have a shutdown again. But is your read of the members, even those who are not in the leadership, I mean, they can't have been happy with a shutdown. I mean, right? No, of course they're not. But They'd rather not go through it again, I would imagine. No, nobody likes shutdowns. I mean, there's literally no member who's sitting somewhere like, I love government shutdowns. (laughs) I mean, and crucial services are cut off. This is wonderful. But the question is the politics of it. And and do you want to come out and go up against Trump if you're a Republican? And that was why so many of them just were kind of quiet, because some of them are thinking about their reelections in 2020, which is really sad that that's how they're doing, you know, policymaking on government shutdowns. But some are thinking about the reelection. Some of them are, are thinking just politically, do I want to go up against the president? But if you ask any of them, even if you pull them aside and ask them off the record, they're mm-hmm. going to tell you, like, this is a disaster. Like, I'm getting calls from people in my my state or my district right. and you know healthcare centers are closed or food delivery services are being you know thinned out or you know certain transportation services aren't being I mean just there's so many pieces that a government shutdown touches in a community so no nobody wants a shutdown it's that Trump was willing to shut it all down for his wall and mm-hmm. Republicans were too scared to go up against him to say no you know which all all of which makes for um, a very interesting possibilities about the State of the Union address next Tuesday. I mean, this is a different crowd than Donald Trump has ever spoken to, right? Again, back to 40 new freshmen in the House who really kind of are feeling their oats and um, proud to be there and not going to, you know, just they're not just going to remain silent for two years as we as we've talked. Yes, but I don't think you um, can. Oh, I don't think. Well, I was going to say I don't think they're going to be impolite. I would hope not. You know, holler, you lie. No, <laughs> Joe Wilson. No Joe Wilson moment this time. I'm but um, it's going to be a different mood in that chamber, don't you think? What do you expect? I mean, I have to say, state of the unions are pretty boring. Oh God! <laughs> I thought the best. It's not like the mood in there is ever just. You're speaking. So, you're speaking Bill's language, right? So now. Oh, joyous yeah. and and exciting. I no. mean, I mean, arguably, you know, a couple of Obamas were very exciting because it's history. It's a, yeah. the first black yeah. president, and when they when the Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House, I mean, there's certainly a different vibe in there than there is with Trump and a Republican-controlled Congress. But I mean, it's it's still don't forget Trump is the president. His party had just got a stronger hold in the Senate. And yes, the House, votes, ju- right. but yeah. still yeah, that counts. Right. Yeah. And in the House, yes, it just flipped. So that will be a bit different, but it's really just a speech yeah, with a lot of fanfare around it. He, and it's a pretty boring speech. He's used to, uh, he does, Donald Trump does best, almost anybody does, when they're in front of a crowd of people, you know, cheer every line, right? And he feeds off that. Um, and he could, in a certain sense, do that even in the House of Representatives when the, the Republicans controlled both houses. This is not, not going to be as much applause, I guess, this time. Might unnerve him I mean, a little I bit. I just think you're giving a little too much credit to how great the State of the Union is no, at all. I, believe me, I mean, not. it's not I a venue where... the best where, decision was not to have yeah, one. Yeah, it's not a venue where it's like a, a stadium <laughs> event where there's cheering and booing. I mean, it's, it's you're really not supposed to react much at all. I mean, occasionally there's applause lines, for sure, on policy, you know, when certain policy ideas are thrown yeah, out, you'll you see like polite applause. Republicans jump up, then yeah, the Democrats that. jump up. Then but it's so predictable. So, yeah. It's so yeah. predictable. I mean, it's just there's a line in the middle of the chamber where Democrats sit on one side and Republicans sit on the other. And yeah. if the president is of one party, then that side will stand up and cheer. I mean, it, it's it's very subtle things that happen that, you know, that show that there's a change. I think 
you're going to see probably certain Democrats wearing certain colors again. Yeah. For example, yeah. I think you might see some uh, some some of the women in white, which is a shout out to the suffragists. Mm-hmm. And I've already seen reporting that this could happen again. They've done that before. Um, right. So there's like subtle kind of messages being sent during the State of the Union by people's guests. People, members of Congress each get a guest. They'll make a public right. statement. But, you know, they'll, they'll invite uh, a survivor of gun violence or they'll invite um, uh, uh, an immigrant family. Or, you know, th- there's policies that they want to push with, you know, by the people they invite or the colors they wear. But in the end, it's just a speech. And, you know, the camera will pan to AOC in the audience and some oh, of the new know. members. But yeah. it's not like they're going to be like, you know, jumping up and down, making a scene or anything. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet that um, Cliff Sims will not be one of the people in the, <laughs> with the first lady in the presidential box. Huh? I would take that. I would be willing to take that bet, but, too. But, you know, Roger Stone might be. <laughs> I would be willing to take the bet that he's not there. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be there either. Uh, we've talked before about the problem with uh, sexual assault, sexual um, <clears throat> um, harassment in the in the House and what's this, what the House might do about it. Uh, now there's the Blake Farenthold bill, a bill named after... <laughs> Him? Yes. So I talked to a Republican congressman yesterday who is introducing a bill called the Blake Act. The Blake Act. And the Blake is actually (laughs) an acronym. It stands for something that's, you know, in Congress they come up with clever acronyms. Right. Um, The Blake Act. Do you have a copy sitting here? Because I don't remember what the actual... uh, what it stands for. It's a pre- it's a stretch. Yeah. To, okay. It's a stretch to say the least because <laughs> right. when you read the full title, it's like, okay, they clearly just wanted it to say Blake. But Peter's on it. Too. In, in essence, what the bill is, it's called the Blake Act because this congressman doesn't want to ever have another Blake Farenthold situation in Congress. And by that, it means that Blake Farenthold was the Texas Republican congressman who uh, sexually harassed his staff got sued, settled, spent $84,000 in taxpayer money, you, your money and mine, to pay out his settlement. And then when it went public that he spent that money on his harassment settlement, people got really mad and he said he would pay it back. The guy is worth millions of dollars. And then instead of paying it back, he just sort of hid for a while. Then he abruptly quit Congress in April. And then in May, he got a new job as a lobbyist lobbying Congress. And so that, the whole process just yeah. just reeked of just corruption. And so this 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 bill called the Blake Act would basically it says that if you are a, a member of Congress and you spend any taxpayer money on a on a settlement like this and you don't pay it back before you leave, you are banned from ever lobbying Congress again. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, to that, it says you couldn't use taxpayer dollars to pay those things back too. Um, Peter, I, I, you've got I do have I have the, the, Blake. the Blake Act stands for <laughs> Bad Lawmakers Accountability <laughs> and Key Emens. Yeah, Emens is the Emens. Emens. That's the stretch. E. That's the E. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit of a stretch. Uh. <laughs> but you know what? Props to to that's Congressman Walker's office from North Carolina. Props uh-huh. to Walker's office for for coming up with something to, to just to have a bill called the Blake Act. Yeah, no, good for him. Uh, and I'm sure it's not the proudest moment in Blake Farenthold's life, or maybe it is. Uh, <laughs> quickly, just about a minute. So we've got this interim, these three weeks. Is anything going to happen, or is this still just going to be wall talk now for another 15 days or 21 days? Well, it depends on who you talk to. I mean, I, I think there 
I don't think Trump's going to get a wall. I don't think he's going to get but wall I mean, money. I'm talking I mean, about it, other issues. They're going to get to anything else. It's been totally focused on the wall. Yes. Well, it depends on who you talk to. Again, I think yeah. I think you'll see Nancy Pelosi, for example. She's ready to pivot, and, and she really wants to be pushing her own agenda. She doesn't want to talk That's about Trump. She doesn't to, want to talk right. about impeachment. Yeah. She doesn't want to talk about the wall. She wants to talk about passing a bill to expand gun background checks. And they have a bill to do that. She wants to talk about the government reform, the government reform bill, which would make all kinds of changes that involve ethics and voting reforms. And she's that's her number one priority. And if you ever ask her what she's going to do, she'll Mm -mm. she will talk your ear off, listing off five (laughs) separate issues that they've got bills ready to go on that have absolutely nothing to do with Trump. It's about health care and education and gun violence and things that Democrats really want to be associated with. Maybe even infrastructure it could be infrastructure week again <laughs> we haven't had one yet <laughs> every week is infrastructure week yeah. it is indeed hey it's fun to watch well we'll be looking for you next tuesday at the state of the union jen great jen bendry from huff post follow her and all of our good friends over there at huffpost.com that wraps it up for wednesday folks have a great one come back and see us tomorrow last this day of january be the there bill press show